Uh, welcome to this week's edition of the Rock and Roll Coast Podcast. This week we have actor John Hoganacker. Uh, he's been in things such as Dope Sick, which was a Hulu miniseries opposite Michael Keaton. Castle Rock, I believe, which was also Hulu. Uh, Amazon's Jack Ryan, and way back when was uh, Kelsey Grammer on Stars. He appears in Paramount's or Showtime's, uh, I guess, slash Paramount uh, series, Waco: The Aftermath, is Clive Doyle. Um, you know, how you doing today, John? I'm glad to have you on the show. I'm great. I'm great, Brett. I'm happy to be on the show. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Awesome. Well, let's get into Waco. Um, how did you first hear about this project? My wife and I uh, watched the first season during the pandemic, um, got into it and was just uh, really taken with it because, I, you know, I remember being, I think I was 15, 16 years old when the standoff happened. Um, and the thing I was the most blown away by was um, the depiction of the Branch Davidians was completely unlike what I remember the, the depiction being on the news at the time. Um, was uh, I felt like the producers and the, and the writers and the creators did a really good job of kind of walking that fine line of, of not really favoring one side over the other. Um, so when uh, I when I found out that they were uh, doing a second season and kind of doing a bit of a deeper dive into uh, the years leading up to the standoff and the court proceedings following the standoff um, and also tying it into uh, supremacist, white supremacist movements uh, that were sort of spawned as a result of the standoff. Uh, these are people who were separate from the Branch Davidians, no connection there, uh, but sort of used the events at Waco to um, draw attention to their, to their, uh, to their political views and, and to try and recruit followers. Yeah. Um, so I was, uh, I was kind of blown away by that. I had never, uh, had never put that together, never realized that uh, the bombing at Oklahoma city happened um, two years later to the day um, uh, of the conflagration at Waco. Um, so it was, uh, it was a real education. I'm a huge fan of uh, uh, Mike Shannon's. Uh, he's a Chicago actor and um so getting to, you know, team up with him on this show was, uh, was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, what about Clive Doyle? I mean, June, I don't, I, I believe he passed away, correct? You know what? He actually passed away the day after we wrapped principal photography. Okay. Um, and I didn't, I didn't reach out to him. Um, I actually, uh, a couple of years ago, I played a real person, Randy Ramsire. He was the guy, the uh, assistant uh, attorney on Dope Sick. And um, he and I spoke via, via Zoom. We talked to one another and I ended up meeting him at some of the press events uh, later on. But um, based on the research that I had done on Clive, I kind of got the sense that he didn't really want to go into it anymore. Uh, I think he was at that time, I think he was 81 or 82 years old already. And he kind of talked about it as much as he wanted to. And he was ready to sort of let that part of his life be in the past. Yeah. Um, so I, I respected his privacy and didn't mess with him. Um, 
but he did write a book uh, kind of about his early life and and uh, about his experiences there at the compound. So he he immigrated from Australia in 1964. He had actually been at Waco as a member of this group for 30 years prior to the whole standoff. Um, and he was one of the first people to meet David Koresh when uh, Koresh was still uh, Vernon Howell and, and came to uh, the compound, sort of trying to find a group of people that he could um, study with. These people were all incredibly uh, devout with regards to their understanding of the Bible. They had their own theology, and it would be basically, uh, there would be a prophet, and then that prophet would become the next person. You would sort of inherit being the prophet. And um, Vernon inherits the prophetship, for lack of a better term, term from a woman named uh, Lois Roden. Um, and he sort of amazes all these Branch Davidians with his like encyclopedic knowledge of the, the Bible, the New Testament, his ability to quote large swaths of it from memory. Uh, he was a very charismatic guy. And so people like Clive very early on were just kind of taken with him and uh, drawn to him. Um, and I'm just, I like many people, I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, what is it about someone that draws them to uh, into a group of people that's that ultra orthodox? Um, is it a feeling of belonging? Is it a feeling of uh, thinking that you know a secret that nobody else knows? Um, and I don't really have the answer, but I I, uh, I was really fascinated by Clive and by this whole process. Yeah, sure. Uh we're going to take a quick pause. Hold on. Come here. Come here. <laughs> My little dog was sitting there staring at me, so I got the impression something might need to happen. He got uh, inside just, your brain. <laughs> yeah, I'll just cut that out. Um, well, so you did, you know, obviously you did a lot of research on, on Clive. Um, what was the thing that, I guess, personally about him, uh, affected you the most? I remember when uh, we were watching this on the news and uh, when I was growing up and this was on the news, unless you had cable, uh, you know, there were like, or there weren't a ton of channels on television and the news was essentially like four networks, maybe four or five. Uh, and there wasn't, to my memory, much differentiation uh, between how the Branch Davidians were sort of uh, presented to us. Um, the thing that I was the most taken with uh, about Clive as I started to learn more and more about him was that he, he really, by all accounts, was a truly decent human being. Um, he was loved by his children. He was loved by his community. Um, and he was one of these guys who, uh, one of these Branch Davidians who found this, this ultra-Orthodox group of people and really wanted to devote his entire existence to being, uh, 
to following his understanding of their theology and to being the best version of himself that he could be. Um, so in many ways, it was like portraying uh, a Western version of a, of a monk. They lived a very kind of monastic lifestyle. Um, and I, I like the idea of, um, of someone not being exactly what you might've thought they were of challenging preconceptions. I think as a, as a, as an artist, that's a real gift to get to tackle something like that. Yeah. Um, how long were you, uh, were you, did you film in Texas? And then if so, how long were you like shooting the whole thing? We filmed it actually, uh, we were based in Santa Fe in New Mexico, which is um, where they filmed the first season. We were in a tiny little, I wouldn't even call it a town. It was probably a, a uh, like, I don't even think there was a stoplight there. It was Stanley, New Mexico, um, where they had uh, built a version of what Waco looked like before. There was actually prior to the, the compound that we see in all the old pictures from 1993, um, there was a whole different settlement there. There was a church, there were several little outbuildings and all sorts of different things like that. And then there's a point at which um, Koresh, at this point is David Koresh, leads all the followers away and they have, uh, there's kind of a schism within the group. This is before he becomes the de facto prophet of the Branch Davidians. And then they come back and they, over time, they build it into the building that we saw. Uh, we were out there working for uh, I want to say about three and a half, four months. Okay. Yeah. Good chunk of chunk. Good chunk of time. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, we were out there during the. Um, there were really bad forest fires in northern New Mexico when we were out there filming, um, and it was wild because you know some days you'd look off in the distance and it would be like clouds, white puffy clouds coming out of the ground, and then other days you would go inside to shoot and you come back outside and it was like in 45 minutes, the winds had changed and it was like apocalypse, crazy. Um, I had a question. Um, with regards to your your co-stars, who, who did you end up having the most time with on screen? The other members uh, that were on trial or shannon or yeah we mike shannon and i worked on some stuff together um giovanni rabisi plays uh dan cogdell who's my lawyer right um and there's uh and and then let's see who else some of the other branch davidians were uh kelly rocha who was phenomenal she plays ruth riddle um there's michael luoye who plays uh, livingstone fagan um we and Kolio Kalev, who were all just we um it was such a fascinating thing to get to be a part of to go into uh the mindset of such a tight-knit uh community who found themselves under fire and on the wrong side of the law um one of the I, I will tell you this little story it was just one of the coolest things um we were we were filming a a scene that takes place two years to the day after the fires at Waco. And um, Mike's character, Gary Nesner, is like coming to a, um, a memorial service. Every year, the Branch Davidians would get together on the grounds of the compound and have a memorial service to kind of 
think about all the people that passed away there. And he has a, uh, like a four or five minute speech that he delivers, his character, Gary, delivers essentially extemporaneously to the congregation there. And um, Michael uh, is a member of a Red Orchid theater company in mm -hmm. Chicago. It's a really small little theater company. Yeah. He shows up there, you know, occasionally, like I want to say like once a year, every two years maybe, and does a play. Um, he uh, he got up there, and and this is a thing that I've always loved to kind of learn about because for the first large portion of my career, I did a lot of theater. Right. Um, we didn't really, you know, you don't get to do a ton of on-camera acting in Chicago. Um, occasionally you get to, but it's a different skill altogether. It's a different art form. And um, Mike stands up in front of the congregation and uh, John and Drew, uh, the producers and directors, um, come up to him and they're like, uh, would you like us to roll on the on the rehearsal? And Mike is ready to go as he always is. And um, that's that's one of the cool uh, things about acting in front of the camera is all of your work happens um, before you get there, obviously. You right. show up, you might rehearse it one time for camera, but essentially your, your choices have really already been made. Um, and Michael's a very kind of a quiet, taciturn guy. And he gets in front of the camera and, and they roll on the rehearsal. And about 20 seconds in, um, one, of the, uh, one of the background performers' phone goes off. And um, Mike maybe flinches, just maybe even a little bit, maybe not at all, but he, he played through it. And um, this background performer, silence their phone very quickly. And then uh, he keeps going. He's maybe 20 seconds into a five minute eulogy. And after another 20 seconds, a second phone goes off, different ring altogether. And this person is so uh, cowed by Mike and his presence and probably just deeply embarrassed. And these were older folks and probably just forgotten to silence their phones. Mike played through an entire ring cycle on this phone. And everything they got, visually at least, the audio was, you know, a challenge, was completely usable. And uh, I just, I've told so many people that story, but it's just so impressive yeah. uh, to see someone with that level of focus and also magnanimity because an actor like Mike could have made that person feel really, really bad about themselves. But right. he just, he did the job and he kept on playing. And yeah. I, uh, I just have so much respect for the guy. He was wonderful. Yeah, I had the opportunity to talk to him over a decade ago when he was still on Boardwalk Empire. And, um, you know, he's he's been one of, ever since, I mean, I, I got to know him from Revolutionary Road. And ever since yeah. then, I was like, I mean, this guy is just insanely talented. Oh, he's, he's wonderful. We, he's uh, done so much great stuff. He sure has. In fact, he, he and I have a connection that goes way back um, 23 years ago. Yeah, I was going to ask because you were you've indicated. I mean, for people that don't know that John was did uh, work on the stage in Chicago and Milwaukee. He went to DePaul University. He was at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. You were in Killer Joe from Tracy Letts, who's a huge, you know, Chicago, you know, playwright. Um, 
and you're originally from North Carolina. So yeah, uh, please, please tell me. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for the, for that, um, Brett. But yeah, all I was going to say is uh, speaking of Killer Joe, uh, the role that I played in that show and the production that I did was um, uh, that role was uh, created by Mike. Uh, yeah. That role was actually written for Mike by Tracy. Um, and the production ran for, I want to say eight or nine months in a, you know, um, a trailer that had been cut in half. And that was the stage that, that they performed it on. And then they took it to New York uh, and they ran it for, uh, I don't know how long there with a, a cast that kind of rotated in and out. Yeah. Uh, and then that production came back to Chicago and that was where I got to uh, jump into Mike's role. Um, yeah. So you, so you didn't know him from your days in Chicago? He and I met, we met on the street uh, in Chicago outside that theater. It was on, at uh, 2800 block of Halstead. It was the old, um, I think it was the old organic touchstone space. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and, uh, and then we, had, we met um, in New York because I was in New York doing uh, The Iceman Cometh. Um, and uh, he was there in support of his partner at the time. Um, so we uh, got to see one another there again. So we kind of we know a lot of the same people we move in uh, you know, similar circles. So yeah. uh, we've known each other for a while. Yeah. Um, well, getting getting to that, I mean, what what was it like uh, moving from North Carolina to Chicago for a significant portion of, of time and learning your craft or going to school and then obviously learning your craft here? Uh it was wonderful. Um, you know, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, I kind of auditioned for, this is the theater school at DePaul University. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say on a lark, but I didn't have a lot of money for college. And I was uh, accepted to Appalachian State University, which is in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, I was accepted to like um, a few other colleges, but, you know, I was like, I think the uh, the application process for Juilliard was like 50 bucks or it was like more than I had to pay. So it was like, let me just see if I can uh, do a good audition for DePaul. And, uh, you know, I did the audition. We left and I like forgot my watch there. And my dad, uh, my dad called the admissions officer, Melissa Meltzer, and he was totally fishing to see how I'd done on the audition. He was like, uh, yeah, did, did anybody happen to find a watch there, anything like that? And uh, Melissa told him that I that I'd gotten in. It was a, it was a great experience. The school was very different at that point. I know you spoke to my buddy, Dave, Dave Dismulsion. Yes. Um, and uh, so he and I were together together. Uh, three of the four years. He came in a year before me and then he took a year off and then he came back. Um, but so Dave is, Dave is one of my closest friends. I love that guy. Yeah. But um, the, the school at the time had a cut system. So I don't know, maybe he told you this, but like they brought in 72, 73 of us. And then you go home for, uh, for your summer break or you go get a job or whatever. And you get it, you're waiting for a letter in the mail that either invites you back to the school or tells you to make some different life choices. Right. Uh, and so they cut, they cut our class in half. And then they did that again after the second year. Um, so we ended up graduating only two sections of kids. And uh, so that the program was intense at that point. Um, and I, you know, I kind of, my idea vaguely going to Chicago was, well, I want to, I want to work at second city. I want to do funny stuff. Right. Um, 
but I ended up doing an audition for uh, Antony and Cleopatra at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, which was the first, their first show in the new space at Navy Pier. Um, They've been at the Ruth Page in the Gold Coast uh, prior to that. And, um, and I got in, I got, I got a small role in the show and it was a bunch of uh, wonderful Chicago actors, uh, Bradley Armacost, Kevin Goodall, Lisa Dodson, uh, Scott Parkinson, uh, Neil Friedman, all these wonderful actors. And uh, the crazy thing was, you know, the, the, the experience of training at DePaul was a good one. It gave me a, uh, it gave, gave right. me an, an opportunity to, to work the chops and, and to develop a vocabulary, but my real education didn't begin until I got on stage with those uh, Titans. Um, and then it was like, you know, the imperative of making money and the feeling of making money as an actor uh, kept kind of kept me from pursuing Second City because at the time it was like, well, you, you got to go through our training uh, process. You got to go through the school. And it was like, well, that you guys don't offer classes on Monday nights and I'm not going to not work as an actor to, to do this. Um, mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, kind of, I, I still, I still dream about going back to second city and <laughs> taking the classes there. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's just such an iconic place. But um, it's funny. You mentioned North Carolina um, because in 21 in the height of the pandemic, I had just wrapped on a TV show called dope sick. The one I was mentioning and um, my wife and I were just like, what are this? We need to uh, we need to get back south if we can, because uh, there had been some family stuff that had happened and I needed to kind of be here and be present for that. And uh, so we moved back to North Carolina and we live in Asheville now, which okay. is a beautiful town, really cool spot. Well, I know Asheville. Uh, my grandparents lived um, in uh, near Brevard. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brevard is lovely. Transylvania yeah. County. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I got to I got to go down there a number of times and you know checked it checked it out. I mean, it's been they moved up here in the two thousands and they're both passed now. But uh, you know, for a while, you know, I got to check out North Carolina a bit. Yeah, Brevard is like, uh, and Transylvania County is the land of waterfalls. It's a just a gorgeous area, and they have the most bizarre thing. They have white the squirrels there are white did you ever notice that you remember that no i mean my grandfather might have noticed that he used to take his 22 and shoot vermin <laughs> yeah we had white so. squirrels on the wall <laughs> yeah no not, not in the house but uh no i don't i don't even remember i'll have to ask my mom she might know something about that but i i don't recall any squirrels at all but that's pretty interesting um where, uh, so where did they move to when they moved back to Illinois? they moved back uh, uh like up in the south suburbs yeah um well i saw you know i saw that you're doing and i don't know what the status of this is but i saw mentioned that you're doing a film that michael keaton's directing is that true or is that's right yeah yeah we were um we did a a film called knox goes away um, okay with an amazing cast um i uh i got to watch uh, Michael shoot a scene with Al Pacino, in fact, which was oh, nice. one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, 82 years old, Pacino was. And Michael is, uh, it has always been one of my favorite actors, and so has Al Pacino. Um, mm-hmm. But to see those two guys just uh, play together was just a, a really cool experience. That's great. Uh, any idea when that might be coming out? I think, uh, I think it depends on 
where which film festival uh, they premiere it at. If it's uh, if it's uh, if it's one coming up soon, it will premiere in the fall. And if it's uh, if they if they started at a film festival in the fall, then it won't premiere until the following spring, I believe. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, what do you have anything else that uh, you've been working on that we can expect in the near future? No, those have, those have been the two main things. I just did a short film recently, which was a lot of fun. The, the, the cool thing about that was that was in Anderson, South Carolina, and it's always good to work close to home. But um, yeah, bouncing around doing those things and now uh, getting to talk to cool people like your good self. What uh, what part of town are you in? Uh, far south suburbs, near the northwestern Indiana border. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was in uh, Jefferson Park. There when i lived oh yeah that's that's yeah on the north northwest side of the city yeah yeah um so what do you do when you're not acting i mean you've got a family of course but (laughs) what do you what do you do you know with free time when you're not working or doing things with the family i am a full-time dad i uh that was one of the cool perks of getting to be back in north carolina is getting first of all to be closer to family. My, my family is all kind of in the Asheville area. My mom is in Charlotte. Um, and my wife's family is in Alabama. Um, so we get to see them a lot more. And, uh, as far as being a dad, I just get to, uh, I get to do a lot more stuff with the kids. Um, you know, so when, when you are an actor and you travel for work, um, we're really, really lucky. My wife, Kelly and I, because, um, well, I should say I'm really, really lucky because of my wife, Kelly, because she is uh, such a rock and an amazing mom um, and has always been uh, willing to kind of jump in when I travel. Um, and like I like I mentioned, sometimes I'm gone for a good long time. I, uh, when I was doing Jack Ryan, I was in Morocco for five weeks um, during the month of Ramadan, which was an amazing experience. That's a whole other story. Uh, and then I was in Colombia for a long time too. And uh, she was kind of on it. Part of that goes back to Kelly and I met at DePaul. We went to school together. So she's kind of got an idea <laughs> of, of like what goes into to doing this and how, uh, how special it is. And she's always been incredibly supportive. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, well, I got, let's just, I'll just ask you a simple thing. What's, your favorite go-to uh, food down in North Carolina? <laughs> oh man! Well, listen. I used to. I would have said like. Um, uh, I would have said Bojangles fried chicken, but I don't like. I don't eat meat anymore. So oh, okay. <laughs> Stop eating meat. So everything has changed. So now it's like Buddha bowls and kale and stuff. I don't know how interesting that is. Uh, <laughs> there's so much great food down here. There's like shrimp and grits. Yeah. I mean, we, we spend time going down to uh, Charleston and Isle of Palms too, which is yeah. in South Carolina. Um, so there's a lot of great, great food down there. And you, you, from your time here, you probably know that uh, North Carolina has two distinct types of barbecue, barbecue yeah. sauce. Um, I like them both. I'm not going to choose sides. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I love all that stuff. I'm a big fan of grits. I'm like, you know, and I, we do slow cook grits. We don't do the instant. Um yeah. Oh, I'll tell you one that a lot of people probably don't know is boiled peanuts. Have you ever had those? No, I haven't, but I know that that's a big thing down there. Yeah, it is a big thing. And I love me some boiled peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) 
it doesn't sound very exciting, but I'm, I know I, I, you wouldn't think, but mm-hmm. they can be, they can be spicy. They can be just salty. They're super good. You're, you're, <laughs> you're <laughs> representative just type boiled peanuts are the best. <laughs> so that's, I guess I have to try them. I, I don't know if this, if Illinois is the place I want to try on that, but uh, unless there's like a Southern restaurant that does them, I, I did get to go, um, and I'm sure you've tried his food is, um, uh, oh crap, what's his name? Sean uh, Brock. Uh, he's got some restaurants in Charleston, I'm sure you, or he did, that you, I, I, I think the first Husk was uh, down there. And I know that he serves, he serves a lot of, you know, I guess you're vegetarian? Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're, you're, yeah, still all, you're all right with cheese at least. <laughs> Charleston's a great food city. Uh, yeah. And you know what Asheville is too. They had, uh, they had two places here uh, last year that won the Beard Award, I guess, Chai Pani, which is a, uh, like an Indian restaurant and mm. Curate, which is a, just another, um, I think a Spanish like tapas type place. Both are super great. That's awesome. Well, John, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I look forward to uh, hopefully speaking to you again. Um, Waco, the aftermath debuts this Friday, I believe. Correct? That's uh, that's right. Friday yeah. uh, starts streaming. That's for on, sure. on Showtime. Uh, if you have Paramount Plus, you get it Showtime with it, so it's right there. Um, yeah, it's a it. I, what I've watched so far, I've liked, and I'm eager to keep watching. So. Again, thank you for your time today. Awesome. Thank you, Brett. It's great talking to you. Great talking to you. Best of luck. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.